0: Maine's Political Pulse is made possible by listeners and by Lee Auto Malls with more than 250 new Jeeps in stock at Lee Jeep locations in Auburn and Westbrook. Learn more at leeauto.com.
1: Welcome to Maine's Political Pulse. I'm Steve Missler, Maine Public's chief political correspondent. Today, the Pulse joined Maine calling for its live month in review show, What you're about to hear is a lightly edited version of that discussion between host Jennifer Rooks, politics reporter Kevin Miller, and myself.
2: Let's start the breaking news from the morning. Governor Mills has just announced that she will veto the bill designed to give the Wabanaki tribes the same federal rights as other tribes. This bill passed overwhelmingly in both houses of the legislature. Kevin, what is the governor's rationale and will her veto stand?
0: What the bill would do is it would change a key provision of the 1980 Maine Indian Claims Settlement Act. The bill would have said that with only a few exceptions, any laws that pass Congress that apply to other federally recognized tribes would automatically apply to the four tribes we have here in Maine. And this would be a pretty significant change because under the terms of that 1980 agreement, the state can basically preempt federal laws. And there's a really healthy dispute about how often that happens. But what tribal leaders have been saying repeatedly is that it does happen and it continues to happen. And they say that preemption is pretty much a key reason why they haven't been able to to prosper economically uh, when compared to other, other tribes around the country. What Governor Mills has been saying um, is that it, if it became law, this would result, and I'm actually reading from her veto letter here, would result in years, if not decades, of new painful litigation that would exacerbate our government-to-government relationship and only further divide the state and our people. And so she says it's vague, all kinds of uncertainty about what rules and regulations would apply. It did pass both chambers of the legislature by, by sizable margins, but the thing is they need two-thirds margins to override the governor's veto. And in the House, it just barely got two thirds. And there's a pretty good possibility that, you know, some of those uh, lawmakers who supported it on first time around may not support it the second time around. So it's it's really up in the air.
2: All right, Steve, anything to add to that?
1: The governor, she sort of telegraphed her rationale for opposing this bill way back when there was a public hearing on it. So there's not many surprises here in her rationale for doing this. You know, they she's been basically foreshadowing it all along in fact there was a a briefing with her chief legal counsel earlier this week that Kevin attended you know to sort in, in preparation for this I think so that so it was not unexpected the only thing that we didn't really know was when she was going to do it and it, she had until Monday to do it and she did it today and
2: Kevin
0: yeah, and I think it's important to point out here from the from the governor's point of view is that she's not saying that she doesn't want to extend some of these federal laws to the tribes. What she's saying is that really, in reality, there's only a handful of laws that the tribes currently don't benefit from, and that she's willing to work with uh, the tribes and Maine's congressional delegation to to address those specific laws. But she says this is far too sweeping, far too broad, and would create all kinds of uncertainty. But the tribes, what they what their contention is, these the federal laws work in every other state around the country with 500 plus other tribes. Why is Maine so unique? Why can't the same system apply here in Maine that it does across the country? So that's really the big contention here. Steve.
1: The governor has also sort of indicated that she her preference is to deal with various issues, narrowly tailored issues piece by piece, and that, you know, that's when they do the best work together, the the state and the tribe, tribal governments tribes, tribes reject that argument. And they basically are saying that there's just no reason uh, to deal with deal with these issues piecemeal, um, especially as Kevin pointed out, when um, there are federally recognized tribes all across the country that don't have to do that.
2: And Kevin, before we move on, I just want to ask, you did say that this veto letter just came out within the last half hour or so. Uh, I understand if you have not heard from tribal leaders, but I'm wondering if tribal leaders have yet to respond to this letter.
0: They have not responded yet. Um, Again, this was pretty widely expected this was going to happen. So it won't be a surprise to them. And I expect that we we will hear from them very shortly. But they've been they've been anticipating this. So they've been talking to legislators in anticipation of trying to shore up those votes to potentially override the veto.
2: All right. Another big issue that is um, before the legislature at this very moment, Steve, where does the bill to expand abortion rights stand today?
1: Well, the big one, Jen, the governor's bill that would allow the procedure later in a pregnancy is basically knocking on the door to final passage. But it still needs one more vote in the Senate, which likely won't occur until next week. Uh, The Senate gave initial approval earlier this week and the House enacted it too, by a narrow margin. Uh, granted, the House vote wasn't as harrowing as the previous one last week when it passed by just two votes after Democrats called in a lawmaker from two hours away to cast one of this, the uh, deciding votes. This time, the House vote was slightly more comfortable because Democratic leaders sealed up the votes beforehand, You know, something you'd expect them to, to have done the first time. Uh, nevertheless, I think it's uh, safe to say that this bill will land on the governor's desk and that she'll sign it. And when that happens, Maine will have some of the least restrictive abortion laws in the country. Part of that will be because of this bill, which has uh, only a few counterparts in other states, but also because of the other abortion proposals that kind of flew under the radar this session, um, but arguably will have a greater impact. Uh, among them um, is allowing Maine care to pay for abortion services, the elimination of deductibles and co-pays for, for the procedure in, in private insurance. protections for abortion providers who treat patients from states with abortion bans and taken together you have this full suite of abortion rights legislation that will likely become law uh, as soon as the um, the legislature gets done
2: and steve what about paid family and medical leave the governor wrote an op-ed this week explaining why she'll sign the bill that's when many of us saw her position for the first time in writing
1: yeah, it was sort of an interesting way to make a policy announcement, Jen. You know, not entirely sure why the governor opted to go that route. But one explanation, possible explanation, is that doing it that way gets the governor's position to an audience that needs to hear it without any dissenting viewpoints. It's, a, it's effectively a press release with a giant headline that's going to get a lot of attention. So probably a good move from her perspective. I will say that her announcement, again, was not entirely unexpected. It's true. That the governor had laid out an array of concerns with this uh, paid family leave proposal earlier this year uh, and and those concerns were were legion in many cases but she indicated uh, in her letter and even after the committee um passed the bill that many of those concerns had been addressed in amendments during the committee markup i know that business groups were hoping maybe the governor would craft a compromise on her own something that she did with paid sick leave back in 2019 Or even veto the bill. But as time went on, it became pretty clear that that was not going to happen. Now, look, the governor will take some heat for this decision, especially because it runs up against her pledge not to raise taxes. Technically, the leave proposal is financed by a tax increase, a payroll tax that's basically evenly divided between workers and employers. And Republican activists are already railing against that. And certainly business groups aren't happy either. Of course, the alternative would have been a paid leave referendum that polling suggests would have been ripe for easy approval by voters, and that referendum would have landed on the ballot next year had Mills either vetoed the bill or for some reason didn't. if it didn't get over the finish line. And she mentioned that in her decision to sign the bill.
2: Kevin, you've been reporting about a bipartisan compromise budget deal. Now to be clear, this is effectively part two of the budget, correct? What is in and what is out?
0: All right, so we're calling this part two because Democrats, uh, Democrats who control the legislature, they passed a nearly $10 billion budget bill earlier this spring. And this is on top of that, it's around 800 million to $900 million. And as far as what's in it, uh, we've already, uh, Steve already talked about uh, paid family medical leave that has about a $25 million price tag. So that's included in this budget uh, to get that that program um, off the ground. There's also $30 million in there to double the wage stipend from $200 to $400 a month for childcare workers. And that's really aimed at shoring up this really low-paying industry that's so critical to the overall economy because without childcare, many parents, they they can't work. Um, They're also making it so that more families would be eligible for state subsidies for, for childcare. And then there's tens of millions of dollars in there to stabilize things in the emergency medical services field, which are really struggling with staffing and, and, uh, and uh, funding volunteers. And then another big part of it was that re- while Republicans weren't able to, to land any of the broad-based income tax cuts that they've been really pushing for since last year they were able to negotiate an increase in the amount of the pension income that retirees can deduct from their income taxes it's it's a $5000 increase so it goes from about $30000 to $35000 but that would that will save older taxpayers some money on tax day so those are just kind of a few highlights of a few highlights of the tax, of the budget bill
2: all right and i want to mention that we just now have a um, news release from the Wabanaki Alliance, the headline, uh, Governor Mills continues her oppression of tribes in Maine. Um, Steve, I want to go back to you and ask you about, I mean, there's just so much to talk about. Um, I want to ask you what we're hearing from the political parties as this session wraps up. How are they spinning this legislative session? And, and how might it affect the future, upcoming elections?
1: Well, Jen, for the most part, the parties are sort of holding fire, but I expect that that will change when this session finally gets over the finish line, whenever that is. Maybe Labor Day. Kidding, I hope. Um, but I think you can forecast what they'll say. I mean, Democrats will likely say that they advanced a big part of their policy agenda this session, and they'll be right. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, the, uh, the, ex- the expansion of abortion access and added safeguards the, the Democrats can you know tout that and hold that up as a as a reason why they were handed majorities in the first place. Abortion was a huge issue in the 2022 midterms. Um, the paid family medical leave bill was also a huge priority for them. That's going to become law. They also advanced a lot of proposals in the interests of LGBTQ people, which is a key constituency for the party. So they'll have a lot to show for the session. Uh, meanwhile, I think the Republicans will probably make the case that the majority party overreached and all on, on all the issues I just outlined above. So get ready for heavy use of the word extreme, which is a word I've heard often during various floor debates this session from the Republican side. Of course, the big question is whether any of this has any real electoral impact next year. When all legislative seats are up for election, we really don't know the answer to that. It'd be pure speculation at this point. And a lot is going to change by the time voters are even thinking about next year's election. But, you know, some of these things will certainly have a long tail, uh, especially if activists keep banging the drum on various issues to to try to make hay of them, which is essentially how a lot of um, elections or campaigns are uh, run these days. So we'll just have to wait and see
2: sure we have to remember that a year and a half is light years in political time uh That's right. kevin when is the last time the legislative session went this late past the july 4th holiday
0: um so i think that the last time it happened uh, was during the brief government shutdown that we had in 2017 now, but the circumstances that year are very different than what we're seeing now Back then, uh, former Republican Governor Paula Page, he was battling with the legislature on a whole host of issues, and he basically teamed up with the minority Republicans in the House to force a shutdown that only lasted a few days. And I think they actually signed the budget bill right before the jo- the 4th of July holiday. That way, everybody could go, go back to work. Um, but in, in this case, um, it's actually because we talked about earlier that the Democrats passed that budget. Earlier this year, that's not an issue, so we're not not risking a government shutdown or anything. Uh, but there are a whole host of major issues that they're still waiting to do. The budget is the first one we talked about that supplemental budget that passed out of the out of the appropriations committee with a bipartisan vote, so that probably should breeze through the House and the Senate. Uh, a few other items that are still out there. The bill to create a paid family medical leave program that actually still needs a final vote because it was awaiting funding from the from the budget committee uh, lawmakers also need to figure out what they're going to do about the solar incentives program known as net energy billing that's a big issue um, this the state house has been filled with lobbyists on all sides you know more lobbying on this than a lot of other bills we've seen in a while and there are two very different competing proposals out there um, that have actually moved through so far. And so it'll be interesting to see where the legislature lands on that issue.
2: All right. Well, thank you both, Kevin. Oh, go ahead, Steve.
0: No, I was just going to say
1: that you know, Kevin brought up the, sh- the brief shutdown in 2017. And that may have that would that ran right up to the July 4th holiday. And that, as far as I know, that's the last time we game, you know went this far in, a, in an actual session. The difference, of course, is that this is the Democrats have full control of the legislature. So. This is self-inflicted, the fact that they were going beyond that holiday versus before where it was literally partisan warfare, driving that state uh, government shutdown and prolonging things. And that's Maine's Political Pulse. Be sure to sign up for our newsletter, which is delivered straight to your email. Do that at mainepublic.org pulse. You can also sign up for The Pulse wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Steve Missler. We'll talk to you again soon on Maine's Political Pulse.